Thank you, Father, that we're now going to gather around your word. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you for your words, literally breathed of you, written by men, but breathed of you. We thank you for them. We thank you for the agent of change in our lives. Thank you that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind through the understanding of your word. We speak that out this morning that seeds will not be stolen, that these seeds will be understood, and that we will produce fruit as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Guess where I'm turning to this morning? John 8. Yeah. Well done. John 8. Still looking at what seems to me to be one long event when Jesus had the woman taking adultery, uh, that encounter with her. And then he spoke about being the light of the world. And then he goes and he speaks to the Pharisees again. I, I'm not 100% certain, but it looks like a, an event. Um, so, so it's quite an important time. Jesus says a lot. And I'm going to look today, I'm going to start looking at this debate, discussion he has with the, with the Pharisees. But I want to remind you about something first. I want to remind you of a few things that we've discovered so far about Jesus coming to end religion. Because as I've been reading on in John 8 and further on in John, I've, I always keep that at the forefront of my mind. End of religion, end of religion. And I, I'm seeing picture after picture after picture that this is what John is really striving at. And it's a wonderful message. Jesus came to end religion, that Jesus was and is grace and truth, which is the opposite of religion. And Jesus is not just a picture of that. You know, John 1, 17, he is that. He is grace. He is truth. But we see the Pharisees as being the picture of religion, of those with a religious mindset. And I loved... Two weeks ago now I preached on it, and I, and, I, and I hadn't prepared it, but I saw it as I was teaching that wonderful picture of when, when Jesus asked the woman, where are the guys that condemn you? Oh, they're all gone. They'd left. Religion had left the building. Mm -hmm. and, and, oh, that's, that's the picture that I really love. I'm going to teach on that in two weeks at the army meeting at Glenaros. But I just, I just love that picture of religion leaving the stage because the main actor had made his entrance. That's a good one as well. So that, um, and what was left? The woman in Jesus. What was left when religion had gone? Relationship. Religion leaves the building. You're left with relationship with Jesus, and that's what she, that's what she had, and that's what we have. That's what we should have. That's what the church should have. Relationship with Jesus, not religion. So I had that in the forefront of my mind as I'm reading through this. Like, come on, let's see another picture. Come on, let's see more end of religion. I, I don't know if I'm just making it up now. I don't think so. I think it's in there. But you know, what you think about you, what you focus on, comes about anyway. So I had that in the forefront of my mind, and I saw a few things a little bit differently, in a different light. 
And that's always good. There's nothing new in here, but we can just get a new revelation, a deeper revelation, a different understanding. You look at it in a different way, it might give you a different, uh, different aspect to the character of Jesus. It's just wonderful. So, John 8, verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said the unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, You neither know me nor my father. If he had known me, he should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath. I am from above. Ye are of this world. I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, Ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, He's in italics. Wasn't there in the original. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am he. Another he in italics. And the people say Jesus never said he was God. He said it about 50 times. Slight exaggeration, maybe. When you, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always these things, those things which please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. That's really important. Who's he speaking to? The Pharisees. Many of them believed in him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed in him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Awesome. Now, I'd missed something when I was reading this this week. This is a great thing about doing communions and Bible studies. Because people say things and I think, aha, I missed that, I'm going to have that. And it helps formulate, builds on the sermon. And I missed something when I was reading it this week. And I think it might have been Stuart that mentioned this, I'm not 100% certain. But when we were in Bible study on Thursday, Stuart kind of intimated that Jesus went and spoke to the Pharisees after this encounter with a woman. 
because the Pharisees have gone. It says, uh, where, are, where are the people? No one. Everybody had gone. Then she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke again unto them. Now, I saw that he'd spoken to them, that he'd spoken to the Pharisees. I got that. But I hadn't clocked, of course, that the Pharisees had left. And I thought, what's that all about? Jesus must have gone, not after them, but gone to where they were. Now, I know he enjoyed winding up the Pharisees. Or maybe he didn't. I don't think that's why he did it. But it does look as if Jesus seemed to instigate this conversation again. A conversation with people that hated him. Spoke out against him. Detested what he was standing for. And I was thinking, Lord, of what? What's that all about for us? Here's Jesus, they're gone. Looks like he'd gone to them again and started the discussion that Jesus probably knew wasn't going to end up great. I'm thinking, you know, why is Jesus, like, keeps trying to bring grace and truth to those with a religious mindset? And I'm thinking, what does that mean for us? We need to keep pursuing those of a religious mindset. It's going to be hard. I know, Zan. If I wasn't up here, I'd be putting on that face as well. I, I've had some difficult, difficult conversations. Harder, more acrimonious. Is that a real word? Yeah acrimonious conversation with the religious rather than the atheist. More often than not, it's the atheist and the agnostic who asks me questions and are willing to listen rather than the religious. I could do without that nonsense with them. I could do without talking to them. There's a few facts. I'm sorry, I'm not going to pick on you again, Sam, but I can see folk nodding their heads. How difficult is it? trying to talk about grace and truth with the religious. Jesus, I could do without that. But he's just uh, shown me that. He's just displayed that. What are we supposed to do? Mirror Jesus. Uh, that's, all I can, that's all I can conclude from this, that we are to keep engaging with the religious. Keep bringing grace and truth, more grace and more truth to those of a religious mindset. I, I can't see how this can be interpreted for us any other way. We see Jesus doing it, we ought to mirror it. Jesus did not seem to give up on them. Like, I've had enough of them. <laughs> and you'd think Jesus would have had enough of them. But no. Man, this is a real lesson for me and a real lesson for us. And I think back, and I used to, I thought, yeah, you were religious too, Vic. Man, when Nunzi 
and Zan and Mummels first brought Andrew Womack and Grace and Truth. That was like, no, I'm not having that. Don't play that in our house. Don't leave those cassettes in the car. Not interested. Yeah, okay, he's giving you all this stuff free now. But he's like a heroin dealer. Once he's got you hooked, you'll, you'll have to start paying for it. John actually told Andrew that I said that. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be horrible to those of a religious mindset because I was there. Just look at some of the verses I have got underlined before I came to grace and truth. And, and I love this Bible because this is a pre-grace Bible and a post-grace Bible. What's the lesson? Don't give up on those people we think are of a religious mindset. And you know what? I, I would suggest the vast majority of them know and love the Lord and are going to stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder, in eternity. But if we can just get that grace and truth to them, life would be better here. I have to admit, life is much better once I understood more about grace and truth than I did about religion. Oh, the sun's nodding our head. Yeah. Um, what, am I, what am I saying? Don't give up on those that we think are of a religious mindset. I kind of said that you'd think by now, after what Jesus had gone through, you might have had enough of them. Oh, no. Absolutely no way. Jesus gave up on no one. No, he seems to keep the dialogue open. He seems to actually instigate it. A couple of times other. Then Jesus said again unto them. Jesus back again. And in this case, in John 8, it seems to have paid off. Look at John 8, 30 to 31. And as he spoke these words, many believed on him. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to those of a religious mindset. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. There were folk that came to believe, came to Jesus, left religion, came to grace and truth. Amen. This has been a real lesson to me this week. And don't think that you're so good that you can give up on folk who have a different mindset, a religious mindset. They need to hear grace as much as the rest of us. First lesson. So what's Jesus saying in this discourse? He starts off by setting out his credentials. Responding to that statement um, from the Pharisees. How did you bear witness for yourself. Who, who do you think you are? Kind of what they're saying. They're saying Jesus, they suggest that Jesus might be lying. Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. What they're saying there, this is what you say about yourself, you're a liar. And Jesus is justifying, not justifying, that's probably not right, giving an account of who he is. 
And at this moment, they just don't get it. They just don't get it. Jesus is saying, I know what I'm saying is true. I know where I come from, and I know where I'm going. And I'm afraid you guys just don't get it, though. It's kind of what Jesus is saying. Jesus knew he was from the spiritual realm, from heaven. But the Pharisees, you see, are operating in the flesh. There's another difference between grace and truth and religion. Grace and truth is of the spirit. Religion is of the flesh. He's saying, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no man. Now, that could be a bit confusing, especially to the religious who are always telling us that judgment is coming on the rest of us. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for example, talks about the judgment seat of Christ. Where all men must appear. Now, the judgment seat of Christ, I'm assuming Christ is sitting on it. Because it's the judgment seat of Christ. And if it's a judgment seat, there's going to be some judgment. Yeah, yeah. The judgment seat of Christ. There's going to be some judgment and Christ's going to be involved. Jesus just says here, I judge no man. Oh, but if I did, he says, but if I judge, my judgment is true. What's all that about? That's, that's quite confusing. Well, not if you read the whole context. The clue is Jesus saying the Pharisees will judge in the flesh. Jesus will never do that. That's what he's saying. The judgment will not be of the flesh. The judgment seat of Christ is in heaven and it's spiritual. Who you are in the spirit is going to be judged or assessed or determined. Saved or not. Stained or sinner. Perfect or impure. Righteous or filthy. That's the judgment that every man is going to have to go through. But in, in that sense, we've passed that judgment already. Because I'm not a sinner. I'm not impure. I'm a saint. Perfect. In my spirit. And so are you. Jesus will judge. Because it says so in 1 Corinthians 5.10. 2 Corinthians 5.10. The judgment seat of Christ. It's going to be judgment, but not in the sense that many think it will be. I'd just been saved, and I'm not going to say what I had scared out of me, but you know you can probably understand. Because I was with this guy who I respected, who was an elder, not an elderly Christian, but a more mature Christian, and he said, you've got to be really careful what you do, Vic, because God is going to watch the video of your life one day and everyone is going to see it. Now, I think it would probably now be YouTube clips. Because we don't have videos. And as you're going through that, through your life, he will judge all your sin. And I was thinking, oh, I'm not a great fan of that. What have I got myself into? But that's not true. 
And now I see it as not biblical. Do you know why? Because sin has already been judged. Sin was judged on the cross 2,000 years ago. Sin will not be judged again. Sin was judged once for all, for all time, for all men. In the perfectly perfect finished work of Jesus Christ. Read Hebrews 10. There's no mention of that video rerun of sin in Hebrews 10. All I can read about is once, once, once. Dealt with, done, sorted. And then I can read in the Psalms about as far as the east is from the west. As our transgressions been removed from us. If you watch my little communion yesterday, if you start walking east, you'll never hit west. You can't get to west from, from here if you go east. It, it, it's, just, it's not there. You just go round and round and round for infinity. That's how far our transgressions are from us. They're nowhere near us when we stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. They're gone. There's also in the Psalms where God says, all your sins are behind my back. I can't see them. All your sins are in the deepest oceans. I can't see them. God's not forgetful. It's in, by intention. He cannot. I, 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 my understanding of Scripture is that God cannot judge your sin again. How dare you say that, Ben? No, he cannot. Or the perfect work of Jesus Christ was not perfect. And the finished work of Jesus Christ is not finished. If we think we have sin, or if you think someone else's sin is going to be judged, then Jesus needs to come back down and get on that cross again. And I tell you, he's not doing that next time he comes down, because he is coming down in might and majesty and glory, and he ain't getting on a cross again. That's my understanding of scripture. And that's, we have passed the judgment already, amen. And instead of being judged, I believe when we come to that judgment seat of Christ, we're going to get the good and faithful servant speech. Amen? Hallelujah. Because he's looking at the spirit, not the flesh. Sin was judged once and for all. Perfectly perfect finished work of Jesus Christ. Yeah. The judgment all men will face, and it's all men, all humanity will face at the judgment seat of Christ. It's what you did with the man sitting on the seat. And I say man because he is a man, yet God. It's the judgment is what did you do? What did you do with me? It's going to come from the judgment seat of Christ. Did you trust me or reject me? Did you love me or hate me? Did you accept me or turn me away? Now, he doesn't need to ask that question because as soon as we walk up, what's he going to see? Himself. In the spirit, we are the same as him. Perfection. Saint, pure, holy. Just like him. Hallelujah. And that judgment will be perfect. There's going to be no sliding in or just getting in or trying to get by or trying to dodge your way in or out or whatever you want to be. I saw Stephen Fry the other day on and saying, well, if there is a God, I wouldn't want to be in his heaven anyway. I'd rather be out of his presence. Rubbish. Rubbish. 
the day he stands around that judgment seat of Christ, well, he won't be. He'll be on his knees. And I'm not saying in a horrible way. He'll scripture, but he'll want to get in. But Jesus won't see himself. He'll see Stephen Fry. He'll see a, a sinner. I don't want to speak that out. That's not right. That's maybe what's happened. That may be what happened. But everyone will be in front of that judgment seat of Christ. And his judgment will be perfect because it's done along with God the Father, is what he said. And yet, if I judge, my judgment is true. See, it's of the spirit, it's not of the flesh. The Pharisees was of the flesh. That's not the truth. For I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. Jesus was, was, was from the Father, he had the Father, and now he's with the Father. And their judgment is perfect and righteous and true. There's no double jeopardy with, with that. There's no retrials. There's no... What is it when you ask for that? No appeals. It's perfect. There will be no drawing the wool over their eyes the day we stand in front of them. So now, my reading of scripture, I'm anticipating that day. Instead of dreading it, because I won't see the video displaying our thoughts, by the way. I won't see that video of my rather unchristian thoughts to the opposition supporters yesterday. I can anticipate being in front of the Lord and he just sees my spirit. Thankfully, he doesn't see this. And thankfully, he doesn't see that. He sees my spirit. And we see Jesus talking again, I believe, about flesh and spiritual later in the discourse. Look at John 8, 23, 24. And he said unto them, ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, for you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And again, as I was having this in my forefront in my mind, end of religion, Jesus, grace and truth, Pharisees, religion, I kind of saw that comparison again between Jesus and the Pharisees that we've seen running all the way through John. Religion, relationship. Yeah, grace and truth, yeah, religion. You are from beneath, he says. I am from above. And that made me think of Colossians 3, uh, 1 and 2. Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Seek things of above, from above. Set your affections on things from above. This is talking about the things of the Spirit. Things of the Lord. This is talking about grace and truth. Not things on the earth. Not things below, Paul would have said. Jesus uses the above and below here. He pictures himself above. He pictures the Pharisees below. Comparing himself to the Pharisees. And again, this is where I saw religion and relationship. The things of above are of Jesus, of our relationship with him, of grace and truth. And the things below are not spiritual. 
They're things of the Pharisees, their religion, their religious mindsets. They're of this earth of below. They are carnal. That made me think, yeah, grace and truth are spiritual. Religion is carnal. Trying to reach God yourself. Trying to do strive in your good works in order to be blessed by God. No, we are blessed of God, so we do good works. I'm not, I hope no one kind of picks the main theme out of all the, these sermons as, oh, Vic's telling me not to do good works. No, I'm not. I'm encouraging you. I'm trying to anoint you to do good works by preaching about grace and truth and Jesus and our righteousness and our forgiveness and our healing and our prosperity. And if we understand all that and renew our mind to that, good works will naturally flow. I want all of you to do masses and masses of good works, more and more and more. But not for God to love you. Or not to think, oh, if I do this, God will love me. No, he already loves you. You're already righteous. Your understanding of that makes you do good works, makes you produce fruit. Amen. Grace and truth are spiritual. Religion is carnal. Religion is all about what you do, what you're doing, what you're not doing. Or more often than not, what he's doing. What he's not doing. Seems to be what religion's all about. It's about your efforts. And all of that is of this earth. You know, we're brought up with that. We go to school, we go to university, we go to college, we go to work. Everything we get is based on our efforts. You, get, you don't get anything for nothing in this world, apart from forgiveness and righteousness. <laughs> but we, we grow up with having to work to achieve, to get. And then we bring that into our walk with the Lord, and it's not appropriate because we've already received. Grace and truth of spiritual religion is carnal. Uh, uh, carnal is of this earth of things below, things of men and self. And that is dangerous. Stay in Colossians 2, verse 6 says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. What did you do to be saved? What works did you have to do to be saved? Nothing. You can't do anything to be saved. How did, what did you do to be made righteous? Nothing. You can't do anything. Faith. So as you received Christ by faith, so walk ye in him. By faith, by believing on him, not by your own works. That's what that's saying. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, things below, and not after Christ, things above. You started your faith in Christ, you continue it in Christ. You started your faith with faith in him, you continue it with faith in him. You started in belief in him, you continue it with belief in him. No works to be saved, no works to be healed. That's what this is, that's what this is saying. But it's also saying that if you do, and you talk about use philosophy, vain deceit, traditions of men, rudiments of the world, you can be spoiled. That's stolen away. Stolen away from his blessings. And as I was reading this, I got a picture of that verse. And I read it. Beware lest any man spoil you through vain philosophy and religion. Religion is vain deceit. 
Vain deceit that you think you can do it. Vain deceit that you think your works can save you. Vain deceit that you think your works can prosper you and heal you. When delusional, when Jesus has already done it. And the way we move into all those things is through relationship with him. Understanding grace and truth, relating to grace and truth. Trusting in Jesus for your righteousness, salvation and provision is spiritual. It's of things above. Trusting in your own efforts and religion is of the earth. It's things below. And we've already seen it. Praise God. Some of the Jews saw these truths and came to Jesus. As he spake these words, many believed on him. And what hit me in verse 30 was, as he spake these words, many believed on him. They didn't believe in him with a lot of the words previously, because they were wanting to kill him, they wanted to stone him. But some of them believed on these words. So these words must be really important. Because that's what led to their faith, with Jesus saying in them. So what were the words that had this impact? Well, what do verses 28 and 29 say? Then Jesus said unto them, this is the, the little couple of sentences he says, before, as he spoke these words, many believed on him. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, oh, I was talking about the crucifixion, then shall you know that I am he, that he is missing. It's you will know that I am God. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things which please him. Let me paraphrase. This is what Jesus Christ is saying. I will be lifted up. I will be crucified. And you will see that I am. That I am God. And that God the Father is with me. And that I am doing his work. You will see my finished work. That's what Jesus Christ was saying. What is it that turns people from religion to relationship? It's knowing the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to keep telling them. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ. The religious, those with a religious mindset, those who are religious, what they need to see, the same as everyone else out there, the atheists, the agnostics, what everyone needs to see is to understand the finished work of Jesus Christ. It really is that simple. The religious need to recognize Jesus as God, not themselves as God. The only way to righteousness, the only way to see blessings is to trust in him and not in ourselves. That's what, the, that's what people need to see. Look at Romans 9. I, I love this. This just, this just describes this, I think, perfectly. Romans 9.30 through to Romans 10, um, 3, 4. What shall we say then? This is Paul speaking. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, the Jewish nation, all the Pharisees, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, 
for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it's written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offence, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That's important. That stumbling stone, that rock of offence is a hymn. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That is why Jesus keeps at them, at them, at them. Because he wants them to be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now listen to this. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. I mean, it's written in loads of these and those and righteousnesses, and it's a bit hard to get your tongue round. But what's it saying? If you try to achieve your own righteousness, you will fail. You can only be made righteous through faith, and that's faith in Christ. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to those that believe in him. Easy, easy. This is Paul explaining the value of relationship with Jesus over religion. And it's a huge value. It's your righteousness, your, ex your acceptance from God. The fact that you can stand in front of God Almighty and he can look at you and say, you're okay, I accept you, you're in. However you want to, not because of what you've done, but because of what his son has done and your faith in that. That is, that bit in Romans is so clear. You can't work to get from God. You're given as a gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's all about relationship with him. Religion's finished. I mean, in this context, what Paul's writing about there, it's about righteousness. But it could be any of his blessings. The Gentiles were righteous without trying. The Jews were trying to be righteous, but failed. The Gentiles were made righteous through a gift of grace, through faith in Jesus. Jesus is the only way to righteousness. And that's what the stumbling stone was for the Jews. And that's what the stumbling stone is for religious people today. What you mean, that guy there who beats his wife and kicks the dog, he's righteous? Well, yes, he believes in Jesus Christ. But I don't beat my wife. I don't kick my dog. I don't have a dog. But... I'm good. I don't, I don't kick my wife either. That's why, you know, I, I'm, I'm great. Why am I righteous? I'm performing. No, you're not righteous because you're trying to achieve your own righteousness. And it doesn't matter how many people you don't hit and dogs you don't kick. It doesn't matter. You slip up in one little thing, you slip up in the whole lot. And there's none of us perfect, only Jesus Christ. Jesus was a stumbling stone. Je oh, sorry, not Jesus. Jesus, as the means to righteousness, was the stumbling stone. And that's still the stumbling stone. Jesus to our righteousness. It's not our efforts and works and strivings that achieve, but faith in Jesus. People feel they have to be good. They have to do it. They are, and some of them actually want it that way. Because it, it sets guidelines. Otherwise, they're too free. No. Not. Grace anoints you. Righteousness anoints you. The understanding of righteousness anoints you to have less sin. Yeah. Awake to how big a sinner you are and sin not. No. 
Awake to what a dirty, rotten sinner you are and sin not? No. Awake to righteousness and sin not. No, it's faith in Jesus, relationship with Jesus that counts. It is his finished work that's important, not ours. Religion is dead, relationship is here, amen? And then, finally, for this one, I saw something new, something in a different light. John 30, 32, um, chapter 8. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hallelujah. As I was reading this, the picture of Jesus ending relationship came to my mind again. And the importance of, sorry? Relationship, yeah. And the importance of moving into a relationship with Jesus. Now, whenever I've read this before, and whenever I've taught it, what I've seen is the importance of the word, of his word, of the Bible, of scripture. And that's a legitimate way to interpret this scripture. Indeed, it's the way I've always taught it. You continue in his word, you know the word, which of course is the truth, and if you know the word, you will be made free. Free in terms of being transformed by the renewing of your mind through the understanding of the word. And that's a valid interpretation of that. I get it. I love that interpretation. It's what I teach. But I saw it in a new way. And in a valid understanding. He's talking about himself. How does John 1.17 describe Jesus? Grace and truth. The Greek word for truth in John 1.17 is the same word as the Greek word for truth in this verse here. So verse 32 could be Jesus talking about himself. If you know the truth, if you are in relationship with the truth, i.e. if you're in relationship with me, if you know me, if you understand me, if you get me, I will make you free. Me is what he's saying. Me. Not religion. Not your religious practices. Not your good works. But me. If you know me, if you're in a relationship with me, I will make you free. That's what this is saying. There's one interpretation of it. It's a valid one, I think. And it's going to be my new one. But the word is still important. How do we get to know about Jesus? Through the word. It's, it's interchangeable, those interpretations. And this fits in with our studies so far in this series. Jesus, it's me. Know me, I will make you free. We've already seen him saying he's the only way to the Father. Yeah. The only way to salvation and righteousness. It is through him that we see the benefits described in Psalms 103, 3 to 5. All those benefits are through relationship, not works or religion. Health, salvation, kindness, mercy, prosperity, all from our relationship with Jesus. Know him, and he makes us free from sin and the consequences of sin. Know him, and he makes us free from sickness and lack. Know him, and we can live an abundant life, manifesting all his benefits. That's good news. That's the gospel. Knowing him. Time and time again, it's the same message from John. 
It's through Jesus and the relationship with Jesus that we receive the blessings of God. End of. Through trust in his works and not our own. Through relationship and not religion. Our job, other than the job that Jesus told us in John 6, 32, is it? Believe on him whom he hath sent. Our other job, the one, the job that I suggest we have, is simply to cultivate this relationship. Cultivate our relationship. How do you cultivate your relationship with someone? Spending time with them. It's not, it's not being away from them. Cultivate your relationship. The same way as we cultivate gardens and fields to produce crops and fruits and tomatoes and whatever you want to grow. If we cultivate our relationship with him, we will see more fruit in our lives. We'll see all his benefits made manifest in the physical. It it really is that simple. It's not rocket science, although we'd like it to be, Carol. It's not rocket science. It's simply Jesus. Amen.